Sup, nerds! This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I'm technically a scientist. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to be talking about The Hobbit a little bit more. And uh, in this case in particular, we're going to be talking about Old English and Beowulf, um, which are in a number of ways closely related to The Hobbit and Tolkien's work in general. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So Tolkien was a philologist. Stop. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> he He's a philologist. Um, philology is the study of like historical development, uh, structure and etymology of languages as well as like relationships to culture and other languages. So basically it's like uh like historical linguistics, I guess. Um but he in his like book of letters that we've uh we've got a copy of here, he is very clear that he is not a linguist, which I feel is sort of an arbitrary distinction. I was going to say, that sounds kind of like a semantics argument. <laughs> if you're like, I study like linguistics historically, but I don't fucking study linguistics. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will get into a lot of this because I have a number of excerpts from like his letters to that he wrote to like his son and editors and like other correspondents and stuff. Um, and I think there's a fair amount of like arbitrary distinctions sure. uh, and this is the first of them so he's a philologist or he was a philologist rather um he studied old norse at university and then became a professor of anglo-saxon or old english at oxford and through the course of this i'm going to be using anglo-saxon and old english interchangeably because they're interchangeable mm -hmm. well for the most part certainly the names of the languages are interchangeable I wouldn't say, like, for wasps, I wouldn't say white Old English Protestant, although that has, I guess, kind of a <laughs> ring to it. I don't know. Tolkien cites Beowulf as one of his primary inspirations for The Hobbit, and Beowulf is an Old English epic uh, that's one of the few surviving texts from Old English, uh, especially there are almost none that are not religious in nature. Most of the stuff that survived of the language has been, like, church stuff or Beowulf. So, what is Old English? A malt liquor. <laughs> Wait, did you say a malt liquor? A malt liquor. <laughs> malt liquor. What? Malt liquor. Old English. Sarah, do you not know what malt liquor is? I have actually never heard of this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, weird segue, but Old English is a very popular malt liquor, normally consumed in its 40-ounce form, and it's very, or I guess heavily referenced in most hip-hop music in the 90s up until now. Wait, really? Like, if you say, like, pour a little out for, like, the homies or something, like, that's, like, normally- They're talking like, about <laughs> Old English malt liquor? Yeah. Old, or, like, some kind, of, some kind of 40 ounce. It doesn't have to be Old English, but, like, you'll hear a lot of, like, songs, like, a cup full of OE. Mm -hmm. Like, that. that is a direct reference to Old English. And that is my only, like, really knowledge of Old English comes to this. So. <laughs> that's what that's I'm- That's awesome. I had no fucking idea. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done with my segue. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. 
Old English is not recognizable to modern English speakers. So there's this mis misconception that Shakespeare is Old English, when in fact Shakespeare is like early modern English. Mm -hmm. And if you are like literate in modern English, then you can look at Shakespeare and you might not understand all the words or like all of the things he's saying, um, but you can read it, right? You can pick it up and read it and say most of it out loud and get the general gist of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Old English is far enough back um, that it's essentially unrecognizable. So uh, like there are even the alphabet is different. There are letters in the Old English alphabet that don't exist in uh, our modern alphabet. Uh, letters such as the ev and the thorn and the ash. I'm sorry, did you say a letter <laughs> is called thorn? Yeah. So the thorn makes the... Th well, the ev and the thorn both make the th or th sound. <laughs> <laughs> what do they look like? Or, like, Do they look like regular... Or or other letters. Y'all, buckle the fuck up. Okay. I'm going to be making a lot of random sounds sure. in this podcast. I don't know how well any of it's going to register. Hopefully it'll be all right. Uh, the thorn looks kind of like a P with the, as if, but like the leg extends farther up. Um, the ev looks like a little, kind of like an O with a tail that has a cross on it. Okay. And the ash is that A-E thing that's stuck together. I feel uh. like I've seen that in stuff before, like in that Dark Materials book, like the demons or whatever, how you say it. That's like the, the ash thing, right? Right. I don't know how Philip Pullman intended that to be pronounced. In Old English, that A-E thing makes the ah sound. Ah. Damons. Damons. But I don't think that's probably what he wanted. <laughs> I mean, it might have been. You know who else Damons? has a, yeah, you know who else has that uh, letter in their name? Arendil. Uh I was gonna say Elon Musk's kid. Oh, really? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's like what is it? It's like X Ash something twelve. Yeah, and I think didn't they have to change it from like the original name because it was like too many like figures that like you couldn't get, like register it with like the Social Security office. They were like, you have to make yeah, this something that was like functional for us to process. Can you fucking imagine if that was your name? <laughs> Yeah, no. Filling out your, like, SAT bubble sheets. <laughs> Walking into job like, interviews. Um, Hi, oh I'm X-Ash X-112. <laughs> Don't do this shit to your kids, folks. <laughs> um. So anyway, I'm going to do my best to read you uh, the Lord's Prayer in Old English as a sample of what it might sound wow. like. My pronunciation is fine. Real fast, I don't actually know what the Lord's Prayer is anyway. What isn't that, like, Our Father? Our Father who art in heaven. heaven. Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay, cool, 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 yeah. cool. I got it. That one. All right. Father, ura thu the art on helfonum, si the nama ye halgod. You with me so far? This no. is not English. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck? well. <laughs> it sounds like I've been chugging old English and now this is what regular English is. <laughs> this is what you're hearing now. <laughs> hey, Marcus, that's actually the deep lore of old English is that you can only recognize it when you're drunk on old English. <laughs> Tobikuma thin riche, gewurtha thin wila on eorthan swa swa on heofonum. What? Whoa. This is, a, this is the Lord's Prayer. My point is, Old English is not the same as Shakespeare. As you can tell, it's unintelligible. It's completely incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> if you are, like, pretty familiar with English and sort of derivations of that, and you know how to read, like, the pronunciation of the letters, mm -hmm. then it, you can kind of piece it together. Like, heofonum doesn't sound unlike heaven, right? Sure. But you have to be able to, like make these you can get kind of used to it by the way i do not like read or speak old english i have a passing knowledge of its history and phonetics so old english is uh from the west germanic branch of the germanic uh, languages along with old frisian old saxon and old high german 
Other Germanic languages of different branches include like Old Icelandic or Old Norwegian, Old Swedish, Old Danish, and these all came from a single like hypothetical linguistic ancestor, which is like Proto-Germanic. Mm -hmm. So languages, much like species, have like family trees of that they evolve, basically. Old English exists in Great Britain. Well, I guess it's not Great Britain at the time. Old English exists in Britain from around the mid-5th century to around 1150 as the, like, quote-unquote official turning point that linguists put on it. This is related to the Norman Conquest of 1066. Obviously, 1066 is, like, almost 100 years before 1150. Mm -hmm. um, but this is when the Normans come in and then suddenly everybody in the courts speak French. Um, and so linguists, like, about, you know, almost 100 years later, start to cite this as, like, the turning point of how that French trickles down to the plebes and starts to change English into Middle English. So we're looking at, like, around 450 when the Anglo-Saxons showed up on the islands uh, to around 1150. So this is, like, what they would have been talking or, like, saying when, like, Vikings showed up? Yeah. Like, they still would have been doing Old English yeah. around that time? I'm pretty sure. This is based on my knowledge of uh, Vikings based on the TV show vikings <laughs> say, not actually a very good knowledge but i'm pretty sure they speak old english in some of the scenes if, yeah my understanding is that the vikings came after the anglo-saxons yes uh so yes it would be during that time and before the normans certainly mm -hmm. before this was uh celtic languages and like latin from the roman occupation of the british isles um but after the anglo-saxons came and conquered there's very little latin that remained in in like the languages of the islands and until the french came back most of those latinate words were lost so most of the surviving texts we have in old english are from the west saxon dialect there are other dialects but those are we don't have many texts left of those from which to draw so that's the history of old english cool nice do people i guess like probably some people still speak it right i mean you can learn it like you would learn latin or greek uh but no Right, I'm just saying, like, someone probably learned it, right? Like, this isn't just, like, a totally, like, man, what are they saying kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Tolkien was a professor of this shit. Uh, and his, certainly his son Christopher followed in his footsteps as well, which we'll get to Christopher in a little bit here. Sure. I guess I actually didn't know that because I knew about Rohan and the, the Rohirrim. Well, this is such a great transition, Sarah, to what I was about to talk about. Haha, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Seamless. Yeah, influences on Tolkien lore. I want to start this section with a disclaimer from Tolkien himself. Okay. Uh, from one of the letters that I was reading. He, this is, he's just, he comes across as a very cantankerous man. I don't know if that's the case. He's a cranky old dude. <laughs> yeah. But he says, I remain puzzled and indeed sometimes irritated by many of the guesses at the quote unquote sources of the nomenclature and theories or fancies concerning hidden meanings. These seem to me no more than private amusements, and as such I have no right or power to object to them, though they are, I think, valueless for the elucidation wow. or interpretation of my fiction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everything I'm about to talk about, he thinks, is bullshit. Although <laughs> most of what I am talking about is drawing directly from his own like writing, so at least theoretically he would be on board with most of it. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but he also sounds like he's just kind of being like, fuck you guys, fuck you, shut up, stop guessing. You're reading too far <laughs> yeah. into this, and I am not going to validate any of your claims. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. A ton of these letters are him, like, writing to people who have written to him, being like, I figured out all your linguistic tricks. And he's like, no, you didn't. You're wrong. Shut this. up, idiot. Lose my address. <laughs> Don't ever contact yeah. me. <laughs> 
There's this one letter that was addressed to, quote, any professor of English what? at Oxford. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he writes back to it and he's like, listen, motherfucker, I'm retired. So um, you shouldn't even address it in this way anyway. But also you're in the answer to your question. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this dude is cranky. Yeah, the book is a trip. I highly recommend reading through some of this stuff. Anyway, so some of the influences that he says are real influences of Anglo-Saxon or Old English on uh, lore stuff. And I'm going to get a little bit into Lord of the Rings stuff here in addition to Hobbit stuff, Mm -hmm. um, just because I imagine Old English won't come up again. And yeah, in a letter he wrote to his son Christopher, he says that uh, Samwise and his father Gaffer are both from Old English words. Samwise meaning like half-wit and Gaffer mean meaning like stay at home. I can't believe he dunked on Sam like that. Yeah. The true fucking hero of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Brutal, um, and dude. In that letter, he... <laughs> I know, seriously. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's like his dad. Can you imagine having a kid and being like, anyway, I'm going to call this one half-wit. This is my son, the idiot. <laughs> This just is came my son, out, dumbass. Right out of the womb, just like looks at him like clearly a halfwit. Yep, yeah, that's what I'm naming. <laughs> yeah. Fucking moron. Um and in that same letter, he says that hobbits of that class have very Saxon names as a rule. And I'm not really satisfied satisfied with the surname Gamgee and should change it to Good Child if I thought you would let me. Good child. So. No, Gamgee's much better. Well, apparently Christopher thought so too, and would not allow his father to change it to Good Child. No, Dad. I don't blame him. <laughs> Samwise Goodchild sounds dumb. It does sound pretty Wait, dumb. Wait, so did Tolkien and his son work on these books together, like, that closely? That he yeah, was, like, well, had that much input no. on, like, names and stuff? So, basically, well, Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, and also another thing I'll talk about later, for his son, essentially. And Christopher ended up generally following in his father's footsteps in terms of, like, course of study. And then ended up, like, helping him with compiling stuff, um, drawing maps that kind of thing. So they collaborated a little bit um, on like drafts of Lord of the Rings, but mm-hmm. it's mostly, it wasn't like he was a writing it with him. Okay. Right. It was just like, hey, Chris, check this out. Watch this. Do you like it? Watch this. Do you like it? Did you like it, Chris? <laughs> yeah. Frodo is also Germanic, uh, which is related to like meaning wise by experience. I actually, can I interrupt here? Because I don't know yes, if we're ever going to yes. say this again. Yes. Do it. Do it. So the like Hobbit. So basically in Lord of the Rings are speaking Western. It's kind of like saying common in D&D. The idea is that Tolkien like translated Western into English for like readers. But the Hobbits also speak Hobbitish. And so their names are their Western names, but they have Hobbit names. And so Marcus, can you uh, guess what Frodo Baggins real name was? Uh, no. <laughs> I have, no, I don't even. Have I'll a let me tell you. Guess. His <laughs> that's fair. His first name Mora, last name Labingi. This dude, Mora Labingi. Mora Labingi. It's way the less impactful than Frodo Baggins. <laughs> no, the hero of the Hobbit is Bilbo Labingi. Bilba Labingi, actually, it's uh, with an A. Bilba, yeah. sorry, sorry. Anyway, Deagle and Smeagol are also from Old English. Sure. Uh, although that's not how you would have pronounced it. It, it makes me wonder if that's how he intended it to be pronounced, because in Old English, it would be Deagle and Smeagol. Okay. But <laughs> And as you were alluding to, Sarah, Rohan, uh, Rohiric names, ro- names of people from Rohan are forms that are like but not identical to Old English. Mm-hmm. 
the character that Tolkien was most enthusiastic about having ripped from Old English uh, was Arendelle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a word in Old English that I guess doesn't have a really clear translation, but basically he says, quote, to my mind, the Anglo-Saxon uses of it seem plainly to indicate that it was a star presaging the dawn. The morning star is a baby seen shining brilliantly in the dawn before the actual rising of the sun. So basically this is this word that doesn't have an exact translation to modern English that he was like totally fascinated with and he named a dude after it. Oh, and the dude also had like all the star connotations, right? Like you had Galadriel being like, uh, like the light of Arendil and stuff like that, our brightest star. His like whole story exactly. was like him and his wife being like turned into guiding lights and shit like that at like huh. various points in time. Yeah. So while Tolkien is occasionally kind of cagey about having drawn things from other things, um, he's very enthusiastic about this one. He's like, this one I definitely ripped off. <laughs> I definitely stole this one. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> Mirkwood also is related. Merk has more b- broad Germanic roots, but um, Tolkien notes its relationship to Mircha, meaning like dark and gloomy in Beowulf. Isn't that just like murky? Um, I thought it was just because it's like, it's a murky in there. I guess that's spelled with a U and not an I. <laughs> Wait, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For whatever it's worth, Sarah, when you said that, I was like, fuck, you're right. And not, no, that's not how it's spelled. (laughs) Um, Middle Earth is also from uh, Old English. He got so aggro in so many places and different letters about people being like, oh, it's a never, never land or like on a different planet or whatever. He's like, absolutely not. Middle Earth just means in the middle of land between the seas and that's it. And it's not on a different planet. It's like, all right, buddy, if you're going to like draw demons and wizards and fucking giant intelligent eagles, you can't be mad when people are like... Actually, it's not on a different planet, you fucking plebs. (laughs) I mean, honestly. When I first heard Middle Earth, I was definitely like, so they're kind of underground? So there's not going to be like a sky. And then I saw me, it was like, like I was like, I saw, I guess I, <laughs> I was like, I guess I took this too literally. My bad. <laughs> Actually, Marcus, I bet that Tolkien would take less issue with that interpretation than thinking it was somewhere else. At Fair. least you're on the right planet, man. Yeah. Yeah. At least you're on the right planet. True fan. A real planet. <laughs> That's anyway. awesome, though. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Ent is the Anglo-Saxon, is from the Anglo-Saxon word for giant and big old trees. And orc is the Old English word orc, meaning demon. But fucking Tolkien, again, trying to like, no, I didn't steal it. He's like, I only chose this because of its, quote, phonetic suitability, which seems like a stretch to me. If this is the word that means demon, it's like, yeah, okay. That reminds me of that, like, office conversation where Dwight's, like, R is the best word. That's why it's murder and not muckduck. <laughs> I don't know why that reminded me. <laughs> well, that's exactly it, though, right? Just He's like, like, this just it sounded just sounds right. so good. It sounds so good and has literally nothing to do with the fact that it means demon. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, also, is that related to, like, Orcus or whatever? Yes. That's the name yes. of a demon prince in D&D. Uh, okay. Orcus is the name of a demon prince in D&D? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait until we do a D&D episode. Oh, spectacular. <laughs> anyway, until then, I'm going to talk to you about Beowulf specifically. Like I said, it's an old English epic poem written anonymously around uh, 975 AD. Wait, it's anonymous? Oh, I didn't realize it didn't have like a known author. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, like so much of this old English stuff is anonymous and or just gone, right? Because like everybody at the time who was literate basically was a priest. Oh, yeah, that's fair, actually. (laughs) People couldn't like read, huh? Mm. Yeah, so there's like 
a lot, a lot of religious texts that have survived, which don't really have like authors per se. And then this poem, which survived, and it's not, well, I guess it's not, it's kind of a poem. Anyway, this epic, which survived and, and doesn't have an author known either, presumably because like the author isn't known, right? Mm-hmm. Like whoever went and tr- transcribed it probably was not the person who wrote it. Sure. Anyway, so the the translation that I'm working from here is this edition that Christopher Tolkien published. And in the foreword to this book, he's like, this is a pretentious dude, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've tried not to be too shady, but the more I read of these two, the more I was like, you guys need to get over yourself. Yeah, that's fair. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the foreword to, his bo- to this book, he like quotes himself in like another thing himself? he said about his dad. Nice. Oh my yeah. God. The he's like, dude. So nice. Oh. <laughs> You hate to see it's it. It's like, I know it's so bad. And it's also because it's so much worse because he's talking about his dad. So it's like, as I once said about my father before. And what? it's like, what? <laughs> what? It's a lot. Yeah. He also says that he like cannot imagine anyone who would read Beowulf and have no knowledge of Old English. I, I thought no, Beowulf was like required reading in some high yeah, schools. It is. <laughs> Did you have to read Beowulf? I think I had to read like an excerpt of Beowulf and it was like in my like like language arts like textbook. Wow, really? Yeah, and you read it in Old English, right? Uh, <laughs> I, we're talking about stuff that was over a decade ago, so I, I couldn't. Marcus, it's that. fine. You can admit to us now that you are proficient and fluent in Old English. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> my point is that like it's such a ludicrous claim. Like I can't imagine who would read this book and doesn't already know the language it's written in. It's like, yeah, no, anyway. I mean that's like unbelievably pretentious. Yeah. Um, but Christopher's the one who's published this um, after Tolkien's death, and he includes in this introduction a disclaimer for why Tolkien didn't publish it, which is actually extremely rad. Uh, apparently, Tolkien was, and I'm going to, by the way, continue to refer to J.R.R. Tolkien as Tolkien and Christopher as Christopher, um, just to keep it straight. So apparently why Tolkien didn't publish this was because he was worried about the, quote, academic folk of quote-unquote English departments. Shade. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, quote-unquote English departments, uh, some of whom have their pistols loose in their holsters. Whoa. Whoa, dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty, it's a, uh, it's such a delight. This guy is cranky as shit. Did he really think people were coming for him like this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, people did. They came at him? Well, okay. Like, with guns? Like, yo, don't get it twisted. No, not with guns. (laughs) We're about to mess you up. No, not with guns. (laughs) How dare you translate this like this, you fucking idiot. <laughs> that's what that's what Tolkien was worried about. Oh he was God. worried that people were going to be like fucking shitty about it. Because like, I mean, like, if you think about it, like the kind of not to be like painting. I mean, academics are, are like really up their own butts. Yeah, and if no, you got... I mean, we got to agree with that one, right, Marcus? Yeah, like, this is true. All right. But also, I, I'll I like, give it to you. So this whole like their like holsters or like they're like they're getting ready to go for their pistols <laughs> makes me think that like the <laughs> academic space is like East Coast West Coast hip hop wars like in the nineties <laughs> like yo like this is a battle we're coming for you like get your translation straight yeah dude it turns out that like STEM departments <laughs> are boring as shit because in English departments are about to fucking yeah. get it going out like Man, if people in STEM were just like yo if you reference my paper but like you're on some bullshit. I'm going to kill you. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Reviewer number two is like, I'm coming for you. I mean, honestly, this... (laughs) 
<laughs> I think this is honestly him projecting a little bit, right? Because uh, if you read his letters... Because he was going to go after someone? Yeah, his, his letters are so aggro. He's like, I don't want to be subjected to the shit I subject other people <laughs> wow. to. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. This is my hypothesis. He didn't say that. <laughs> That's but awesome. This is my theory. Yeah. Anyway, so Beowulf uh, is about a guy called Beowulf. Sure. Um, <laughs> And uh, I could give you a brief summary of it, if that interests you. Wait, hold up. I'm going to summarize Beowulf based on what I know. Oh, yes. Excellent. Do <laughs> There's it. like a shitty dragon and also... Okay. That's at the end. A guy named Grendel and also yep. Grendel's mom. And yep. I think they're like trolls. No. Okay. They're angry. And that's all yeah. I got. <laughs> That seems um, pretty accurate. Is that Beowulf? Did I do yeah, it? Yeah, that's Beowulf. You did the whole thing. That's it. And it's in order. And it made sense the whole way through. Uh, no, so the story starts out uh, with King Hrothgar of Denmark. Okay. Which, another Skyrim callback. I was going to say, why does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's from Skyrim. Wait, it, what in Skyrim? It's where the... the uh, they're not called white beards, are they? Graybeards. Graybeards. Oh, oh it's wow. The, I laughed because it's, it's the, the old it's the fuckers place where they with live. Like the, the voice thing. Oh. Yeah, and Parth. It takes like a million years to find them. Ugh. Yes, the worst part of that I game. Know, the only, I'm going to go ahead and say the only bad part of that game is trying is to up walk up that mountain at the beginning of the game and just being like, for God's <laughs> sake. <so> awful. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> anyway, so King Hrothgar of Denmark uh, has this like great big mead hall called Herot. Um, and the problem is that he and his buddies are partying too hard all the time. And Grendel, who's like this horrible demon monster who lives nearby, is all fucking pissed because they're so angry all, or because they're so loud all the time. Because they're partying too loudly? Are they drinking a bunch of old English malt liquor? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the OE is flowing and the demons are pissed. <laughs> the demons are like, shut up. <laughs> I was fully about to correct you. I was like, no, it's mead, Sarah. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, so Grendel is, like, pissed that these guys are so loud all the time. And so he goes and kills them, like, every single night, basically. Not all of them every night, but he, like, terrorizes them all the time. They keep partying? Take a hint. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? These are the worst neighbors, man. Yo, shut <laughs> up. Oh, I got work in the morning. Quit drinking your Honestly, mead. what a fucking mood, though. Uh <laughs> There's another book written, I can't remember who, Grendel is actually in a lot of, I think, a, sort of a sympathetic character in some ways. And there's like another book just called Grendel. I really sympathize with someone being like, my neighbors yeah. are too fucking loud. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I think that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Grendel is like killing the Danes all the time. Uh, and so King Hrothgar is like, oh, this is terrible, but we must keep partying. <laughs> we just want to party in peace. Anyway, this <laughs> happens for a long, long time uh, until a young Geetish woman warrior what? named Beowulf. Geetish? Geetish. What does that mean? It's a Germanic tribe uh, that's in like present day Sweden-ish. Okay. Anyway, Beowulf hears about this um, and is like, hell yeah, I'm going to go to Denmark. I'm going to kill this guy. And Hrothgar's like, fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. Let's have a feast. Thank God we can keep partying. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank God. Um, during this feast, this guy named Unferth taunts Beowulf and is like, how dare you? Beowulf is like, actually, no, I'm incredible. It'll be fine. <laughs> then Grendel shows up. Okay. Shut up. I, I have, have work in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. I have work. I'm about to call the cops. If you guys would shut up. <laughs> Stop doing this every night. It's a weeknight. <laughs> I don't care if your friend is visiting. <laughs> 
So I have a, a an excerpt from Tolkien's translation of Beowulf uh, that's sort of like Grendel approaching this feast that I'd like to read. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to point out that because Old English is a synthetic language, is that a synthetic? Is that a, a synthetic language? It sounds like something that you make up. No. And that's the thing. So Tolkien actually did make up languages. And I'm sure if we do Lord of the Rings stuff, we'll get into constructed languages mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I demand it. But no, <laughs> that's not what it means in this case. A synthetic language is one where grammar is dictated not only by word order, but also by inflection or agglutination. Why the fuck would you call it synthetic? Uh, because the more the phonemes are like synthesized with the other parts of the word to create meaning. That's interesting. Okay. Seems like kind of a confusing name for it to me. I agree. I'm not going to defend it. <laughs> Okay, in modern English, word order matters a lot for grammar, right? Because if I say like Sarah kicks Marcus, that means different. That means something different than Marcus kicks Sarah. Yes. In synthetic languages, there are like bits that you'd add on to the ends of those words that would explain or indicate whether it was the subject or the object of the sentence. So you could say Marcus kicks Sarah and you could put the names in either order and it would still indicate which was which. All right. Anyway, what this does when you're translating from a synthetic language to one that isn't um, is it puts you in this position where preserving the word order is kind of difficult or can be depending on how the sentences are constructed. Because, yeah. So I think this passage is both A, a cool description of Grendel Mm -hmm. and B, a good example of how Tolkien like sort of pushes the boundaries of modern English grammar in order to accommodate the original textual features as much as possible. Uh, So of Grendel, Tolkien translates, He came now to the house, a man-shape journeying of men's mirth shorn. The door at once sprang back, barbed with forged iron, when claws he laid on it. He wrenched then wide, baleful with raging heart, the gaping entrance of the house, then swift on the bright-patterned floor the demon paced. In angry mood he went, and from his eyes stood forth, most like to flame on holy light. He in the house espied there many a man asleep, a throng of kinsmen, side by side, a band of youthful knights. Then his heart laughed. (laughs) They would be quiet before morning. Then his heart (laughs) laughed. (laughs) He thought that he would sever, ere daylight came, dread slayer, for each one of these life from their flesh, since now such hope had chanced a feasting full. It was no longer doomed that he yet more might of the race of men devour beyond that night. I see what you mean about that word order being fucking mm-hmm. book wild. Yes. Anyway, so Grendel shows up. Beowulf fights him unarmed. Okay. And he tears his arm off. He tears his arm off? Wow. Yeah, but Beowulf fights, yeah, tears Grendel's arm off. Um, Grendel is mortally wounded and he- I wonder why. Why? Yeah, just, he just <laughs> yeah. down one his arm. His arm's gone. <laughs> he like crawls back to the swamp to go die. Uh, they hang the arm up in the hall. As a trophy. Wow, so fucked up. That guy just, yeah. like, wanted to be able to get a good night's sleep. Dude. Well, now he will sleep the sleep of the dead. That escalated so quickly. If you went <laughs> to your neighbor's house to tell them to be quiet and they just ripped your arm off and sent you home, you wouldn't be coming Can you back. you fucking imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I would just go die in a swamp. <laughs> like, man, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, Gretel, fairly relatable dude. Yeah, apparently. Anyway, so Hrothgar's like, hell yeah, Beowulf, good job. Gives a bunch of gifts and treasure. Then Grendel's mom. uh, (laughs) Mom, they took my arm off. His fucking mom showed up. His mom shows up. And (laughs) yeah, his mom shows up and murders one of Hrothgar's advisors. 
So Beowulf goes to the swamp with his buddies and, like, dives into the water and swims and swims down to Grendel's uh, mom's underwater lair. I'm sorry, they're amphibious? So many twists yeah, yeah, and yeah. turns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he uh, kills her with a sword that's made for a giant. And then he finds Grendel's corpse and decapitates it and brings the head back to Hrothgar. The corpse? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alliteration was also a really uh, prominent feature in Old English texts, and I have a part from where he stabs Grendel's mom that I like a lot that I wanted to <laughs> share with you. Now he grasped its linked hilt, that champion of the shielding's cause, in fierce mood, and fell he flashed for the ring-adorned blade. Despairing of his life with ire he smote, and on her neck it bitter seized, and shivered the bony joints. Through and through, the sword pierced her body doomed. She sank upon the floor. The sword was wet. The knight rejoiced him in the deed. Whoa. What the <laughs> fuck? Pretty brutal shit. Wow. Maybe this is why all of the quote-unquote English professors were so aggro all the time. They drew so much inspiration from this shit. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> like, they all just want to be demon slayers. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then it essentially becomes a different story because Beowulf just, like, fucks off and goes home. This sounds much like The Hobbit in that the whole thing is, like, dragon this, <laughs> yeah. dragon this, and then it's like, um, actually, fuck that dragon. We're gonna have a war now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He goes home uh, and becomes king. He rules for a long time. And then when he's an old man, they're like a thief disturbs like a dragon horde type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this dragon wakes up and starts torching everything. Um, and Beowulf and one of his buddies kill the dragon. And then uh, it, while it's happening, the dragon bites Beowulf in the neck uh, and he dies from its venom. Oh, damn. Yeah. Bummer. And then they burn his body and set him out to the sea. It's kind of a weird ending to the a story. The end of Beowulf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I know like that that direct translate or the actual book does just have this jump from like, oh, like killing these demons. So like, now I'm an old king because in the animated movie that I saw one time way back when, I always thought it was like, why did the timeline just jump like that? I guess, do we not know That's what happened? That's how it is. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I guess yeah, this is the story. Yeah, it's just how it is. Weird. Yeah, I think, I think Tolkien also didn't like it because he... So he basically wrote some Beowulf fan fiction oh, that Christopher published in this book. It's called The Selic Spell. Um, the title refers to the types of stories that would have been recited at a feast mm -hmm. in like the Beowulf text. It's like uh, referring to a phrase that means strange tales. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's a fan fiction of Beowulf's like origin story and the first part of the original text. But it Wild. does stop after Grendel's mom died, because I do not think Tolkien liked the second part either. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But he basically rewrites this in sort of a Germanic folktale style, um, which he says is like experimenting with contrasting it with a more heroic or historical style. And because he's a fucking nerd, he wrote it in Old English first and then translated And then translated his own English. work? <laughs> yeah. That's intense. <clears throat> yeah. That's so I hardcore. Mean, I, I, I know. Oh it's really God. hard. I kind of admire the dedication. Although I will say his writing style for Selic Spell is like much more... I don't know, it's much less flowery than the original Beowulf text, um, which I think was like because of his experimenting with folktale style instead of whatever, historical or heroic. Anyway, so in, in Tolkien's fan fiction, Beowulf is like found in a cave that when some huntsmen kill a bear. Okay. And the king adopts him. Um, and basically when he's a kid, he's like grunting and really slow and sluggish, um, and really unpleasant to be around. 
Just some feral child. <laughs> what is this story? It's it's the it's Beowulf's origin story, except in this he does call him Beowulf. Like as in bear, which is what Beowulf means, but oh, okay. in, is yeah. it kind of like like the child raised by wolves, just kind of like this feral, animalistic, like little baby? Yes. Okay. Except it's a bear. Raised by bears. But yes. That's funny. Raised by bear. <laughs> yeah. Then there's this whole part where he learns how to swim. Then he and his buddy hand shoe. Excuse me? You say hand shoe? <laughs> yeah. It means glove. Um, <laughs> <you> call- <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> What the fuck? It means, it means that's it's awesome. The actual German word for yeah, a lot of Germanic uh, Germanic languages, the word for glove is handshoe. handshoe. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. Essentially, yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, um, he's called handshoe because <laughs> he's called handshoe because he has these gloves that um, <laughs> this is some Marvel shit. He has these gloves that make him able to throw big rocks and tear rocks apart. <laughs> what? Oh man, that's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I want those gloves. Beowulf and Hanshu go to, to uh, the Golden Hall. In his fan fiction, Grendel is actually called Grinder. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is etymologically related to Grendel. Like, I think that's what the Grendel is called that because he grinds his teeth. Uh... It's not related to the dating app. <laughs> <laughs> For a second, I was like, you mean the dating app Grendel? What dating app is that? <laughs> It's like a dating app only for those interested in Old English. It's like got a new uh, demographic now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or monsters. Or interested in their neighbors shutting up. <laughs> Are you sick of loud neighbors? Are you looking for a partner in life? Try Grinder. Do you hate those fuckers? <laughs> anyway, Grinder. His version of the story, Tolkien's version of the story is a little different in that he, Beowulf immediately goes to track Grinder after the fight. Sure. Instead of waiting until his mom shows up, but he does go kill his mom anyway. Just for uh, fun? And then it's like, well, because she, because, okay, so he tears Grendel, Grinder's arm off and then follows him to the swamp where Grinder is hiding in his mom's underwater cave. And then he kills them both. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, then the book ends. Well, there's a, like, some drama with one of Hrothgar's attendants, but then the book ends. Um, yeah. So that's Selig's spell. Weird. The other thing that's in this edition, Beowulf, that Christopher published is The Lay of Beowulf, which are just poems that Tolkien wrote um, that are intended to be sung. And he used to use them as lullabies for Christopher. That's cute. Aw. That's very cute. Nice. Yeah. Christopher was like, I don't remember these, but I kind of remember my dad singing. All right. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what he has to say about <laughs> yeah. that. Um, anyway, I'm going to wrap up with Beowulf's relationship to The Hobbit. In Tolkien's letters, he's very cagey and vague about it. He's like, this is one of my primary inspirations, but he doesn't say why or what about it. Mm -hmm. In an article by E.L. Risden in the Journal of the Fantastic and the Arts um, called Beowulf, Tolkien, and Epic Epiphanies, the author attests that like the primary similarity between Beowulf and The Hobbit is centered around like this idea of epiphany, which is like encounter with a greater being that stands in the way of a character's movement towards either good or evil. So basically, as just as Beowulf faces Grendel and Grendel's mom, uh, so does Bilbo face like the trolls and the dragon. Mm -hmm. And this person argues that both of them exhibit like a heroism in the face of these monsters that comes from like intrinsic grit and desire rather than like the gods or external pressure or whatever. Sure. Um, so E.L. Risden says that these are the primary similarities 
For my part, I actually think Selig's Bell shines a pretty good light on some similarities as well, because the writing style and like flavor is very similar. Whereas the excerpts I read you from Beowulf itself were like pretty florid. Selig's Bell is much more to the point and like you still get this sense of excitement and like events after events and there's not too much dead weight or excess in the writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that sort of feels like The Hobbit to me as well. Anyway, that's my expert opinion. Hell yeah. Nice. Excellent. Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertoppod, or email us at inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds. <laughs>